Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Corey, you and I have had a lot of good laughs, but one of the times I remember laughing the most is when you told me about one of your ex-girlfriends. And the reason I was laughing so hard is because of the way that you described her. Maybe you can share that with us. Well, Kellen, you and I grew up together, so most of our romantic relationships we knew about in real time. In this case, this was during college, we had kind of I don't want to say grown apart, you and I, but we just didn't see each other or talk as much for this period of time. So this girlfriend, it was a very brief experience, uh, six weeks perhaps. And the only way I can describe it is that I literally don't think she had a personality. I tried, we went on a date. I took her on a proper date and I just remember asking her questions and trying to like get to know her on a deeper level. But it was impossible. Like there was no, there was nothing. She couldn't give me any information, not just about herself, but like no, no personality appeared there where it normally should. Right. And you might be thinking like, well, why were you dating this person in the first place? And it's because superficially, like on a very basic level, she was cool getting to know her. And so I was like, well, let's, let's try and take this a little further. And anyway, it, it did not last long. And looking back now, especially after doing today's research, I realized that this person very likely rated extremely high on the scale of, on the spectrum of, of narcissism. There were so many traits 
that she exhibited that we're going to talk about here in just a minute that uh, I, I go, oh, yeah, okay, now it's so obvious. Yeah, and so as we talk about it, it might be fun to just hear a little bit as to more specifically why you feel like she was or is a narcissist. But there's a reason why we're talking about this within the context of collapse. We've talked about all these different isms, and usually it has more to do with like a certain philosophy. But it's been brought to our attention multiple times, this idea of narcissism and how dangerous it is, especially among leaders, leaders of corporations, uh, politicians, and this growing concern about narcissism. And there are some reasons why an increase in narcissism is especially dangerous to our society and especially when we see it from leaders, and why that's going to be a major obstacle in combating collapse. Yeah, when you think about the types of personalities that are drawn to leadership positions and that we tend to put into leadership positions, you would hope that we would pick the very best of the best, the most qualified to be able to lead a nation or a world or or whatever it is in the right direction. And you know, as Donald Trump once said, we're not, they're not sending their best. We're not sending our best to the front lines of leadership in the U.S. Donald Trump was talking about, um, Latinos coming over the border of the United States. That's not what I'm referring to here. I'm referring to the fact that the people who are voting into power are not probably the best people for the job, considering how important and, um, sort of fragile the situation we're in. And obviously each one of these conversations were, looking at collapse in a very particular angle, we're seeing it through a certain lens, it could be argued that the level of narcissism of our leaders is the most impactful factor in whether or not we will collapse, how soon we will collapse, what can be done to prevent it. We've talked so frequently about how those in power, those that are the richest uh, those who have political power, leaders of, of corporations and of nations, are in large part the reason why we're in this mess. Obviously, there's collective blame, right? Uh, that we can all point fingers all over the place and even at ourselves. But especially the predicament that we're in now, the kind of people that we have making decisions is probably the biggest factor in what the future looks like. So to sort of set the stage for this episode, then in talking about the likelihood of leaders being more on the narcissistic side, what is narcissism? Now that's a word that I think we hear a lot, but do we really know what it means? And I'll be one to admit that I don't think I had maybe the perfect or correct definition for this. So I'm going to read a few things here. So Basically, narcissism is selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration as characterizing a personality type. If I read a little bit from, I'm just going to read straight from Wikipedia here, it says, narcissism is a self-centered personality style characterized as having an excessive interest in one's physical appearance or image and an excessive preoccupation with one's own needs, often at the expense of others. It does make the point, and this is an important one, that narcissism exists on a continuum. 
It's not like you are a, a narcissistic person or you're not. You're probably somewhere on the spectrum. And some level of narcissism is normal and healthy, right? Somewhere on that lower end of the spectrum. But at some point, you cross a, a line where it begins to become unhealthy to yourself and to those around you. And it can get so extreme that it's debilitating to your ability for success. And when you get that high on the scale, we'll talk about this in a moment, that's called narcissistic personality disorder. So doing a little more research, trying to find some examples of narcissism. Um, on WebMD, it talks about narcissism like this. It says, people who show signs of narcissism can often be very charming and charismatic. They often don't show negative behavior right away, especially in relationships. People who show narcissism often like to surround themselves with people who feed into their ego. They build relationships to reinforce their ideas about themselves, even if these relationships are superficial. And that part of the definition really struck me in as much as like our conversation around leadership and maybe politics, because it reminds me of our conversation we had about John Michael Greer's idea of the elite and how the elite consciously surround themselves with people who will support their ideas and their ego. And they have the ability to choose who is by their side and they will create that sort of echo chamber for themselves. Now, because narcissism is on this sort of spectrum, this continuum, it's really hard to find solid numbers about like X number of people are narcissists or not uh, because there's no solid definition uh, somewhere along that continuum that, that strictly defines them. But with that being said, um, different ranges out there, somewhere between 15 and 20% or so of the population is considered narcissistic, which is a pretty sort of considerable amount of the population. When you talk about narcissistic personality disorder, which is on the, again, the very upper end of that spectrum, they believe it's somewhere between 1% and 6%. So much less, but still a decent amount of the population that is experiencing an extremely high amount of narcissism. Yeah, and to me, the whole idea of narcissism is so interesting because I think we all know people that we can point to and say, that person is probably on the high end of the spectrum. Like We recognize that they are very self-centered, you know, they, they might be even pathological to some degree. They are okay with doing things that we wouldn't consider to be moral or they're okay with lying, hurting other people in order to kind of prop themselves up. But like you said, it's a spectrum and some degree of narcissism is healthy. Like, and it depends on definitions here, but we all need some level of self-esteem. We need some confidence in ourselves. We need we need to be able to look out for ourselves. But if you've got healthy self-esteem on one side of the spectrum and being in a pathological state on the other side, it begs the question, where does this come from? And there have been some studies done, uh, especially they do some kind of interesting studies where they look at twins and do these assessments of narcissism. And some of the conclusions are that at least a degree of it is hereditary. But you could say that for almost anything. What I find fascinating is that with all these different types of narcissism that are out there, they actually talk about something referred to as acquired situational narcissism. And one example of this that I think we see frequently is with celebrities. 
So an individual might have these kind of narcissistic traits that that lay latent that are kind of beneath the surface. But then when they get so much attention, they have people all over the place that are absolute fans of them and tell them how wonderful they are. Everyone's looking at them all the time. It can become a full-blown personality disorder. And so I think we all have that to some degree, but there are certain situational things that can trigger those narcissistic tendencies. So going along with that uh, that you just mentioned, there's a couple other types of narcissism that are mentioned here. One was called grandiose narcissism. It says people with this behavior were most likely treated as if they were superior or above others during childhood. These expectations can follow them as they become adults. They tend to brag and be elitist. Those with grandiose narcissism are aggressive, dominant, and exaggerate their importance. They are very self-confident and aren't sensitive. So this type of narcissism seems to be trained into them as children because they're constantly told how important they are. And they're also more more likely to have sort of um, elitist or successful parents um, who sort of drive this feeling of uh, deserving it, you know, of, of superiority into their children. The other kind was called vulnerable narcissism. It says this behavior is usually the result of childhood neglect or abuse. People with this behavior are much more sensitive. Narcissistic behavior helps to protect them against feelings of inadequacy. Even though they go between feeling inferior and superior to others, they feel offended or anxious when others don't treat them as if they're special. So uh, to sort of, you know, we've talked about a couple attributes of narcissistic people, but I think it might be good to sort of take a look at symptoms, actual things that you can see about a person or ways that they behave that might give you a hint to whether or not they are narcissistic. So here's a few. They might have an unreasonably high sense of self-importance and require constant excessive admiration. They might feel that they deserve privileges and special treatment, uh, expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements. They may become impatient or angry when they don't receive special recognition. They might have problems interacting with others and feel slighted. There can be difficulty managing emotions and behavior or adapting to change. They may lie, and they may lie a lot about um, themselves. They may lie to make themselves look better. They might insist on having the best of everything. They might display um, envy. And again, with that lack of empathy, they're just not willing to recognize the needs and feelings of others. All right. So as you read that, you're sharing all these symptoms of narcissists. Let's go back to the comment about your ex-girlfriend. Oh, boy. What was it that she would do that convinced you that she qualifies as being a narcissist? Yeah, I think so. there's several boxes here that that checked. Uh, I'm, I'm no doctor, so I can't actually write, like, diagnose her. And hopefully she doesn't listen to this and know that I'm talking about her. Um, but she would lie. And I mean, every single day when I would, we would meet up after, you know, school or whatever. This is uh, college. She would say something like, oh, yeah, this cute old man came up to me today and just told me, how adorable I was and he wishes he could adopt me and I was just perfect. And I would be like, that is so cool that that happened to you, right? But every day there would be a different story. Somebody came up today and and hit on me and told me how perfect I was. 
And it just went, it went on and on and on. And I, I knew, I can't remember, I caught her in a lie at one point with one of these stories that she had told. And it just didn't make sense to me at the time. Why? Why do you need this validation from me? It was like she wanted me to mirror what she was saying that these people were supposedly saying to her on a daily basis. So that was, that was a big one. Um, lack of empathy, I think for sure inability to take like any criticism at all while in turn being very critical of others including me and it was like a brand new relationship so it was weird that she would be willing to be so hypercritical of things you know she would go on about the things that she had accomplished she played a musical instrument that she was very proud of and she you know I would sit and listen to her play that a lot and uh but she had no interest in the things that I enjoyed or the things that I was good at. Right. So anyway, it's just a bunch of those types of things. And again, at the time to me, it was just like, oh, this person is like rude. And I hadn't thought much about that since. And I actually, here's a funny story. I was at Walmart with my wife. This was years after we had dated. I had been married for probably four years. We had a child at this point. And as we're walking through the grocery store, this ex sees us from down the aisle and it was a perfect opportunity to just kind of like do like a little head nod, you know, of like, hey, we know each other, but we don't need to talk. But instead, she yelled my name, come running down the aisle and started asking questions to me and my wife like, hey, it's so good to see you. I can't believe I haven't seen you in so long. Immediately, she said, where are you living? I said, oh, we're renting a house down here. And she said, oh, you're renting? Don't worry. We don't all get to own homes right away. It takes some of us some time, but you'll get there. And it was just like, why did you need to say that? After all these years of not seeing you, it was this immediate need to like show superiority again and to make me feel inferior. So anyway, I guess those might be some good ideas of of what a narcissistic, narcissistic person might display. Well, it makes more sense why it was such a short-lived relationship. I can't believe it lasted the six weeks that it did. <laughs> She was a great kisser, so that just kind of kept me around for a little bit, I guess. <laughs> well, it makes me think of something that I came across, which is referred to often as the dark triad. Before you go on, I just realized how shallow that made me sound <laughs> to say that I stuck around because she was a good kisser. I tried to make it work. I tried to to figure it out, but it just very soon got out of hand. Too late. We've all judged yeah, you. Yeah, I'm shallow. Okay, so this dark triad is... This whole idea that there are a few different characterizations that all kind of overlap. And and there is empirical evidence showing that they do overlap. Typically somebody with a more callous, manipulative personality or, or interpersonal style will have these three. So they list narcissism, which, as we mentioned, is characterized by grandiosity, pride, egotism and a lack of empathy the second is machiavellianism and that's characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others an absence of morality unemotional callousness and a higher level of self-interest and then the third is psychopathy which is characterized by continuous antisocial behavior impulsivity selfishness callous and unemotional traits and remorselessness so you can see how these all that they're somewhat distinct, but they all overlap. And as we talk about narcissism, you might think, well, that falls more under psychopathy or whatever. 
But it's just this idea, right, that somebody is very self-interested. They tend to manipulate. They're okay with lying. Whatever it is to boost themselves up, often at the expense of others. So I think one interesting note to make is that narcissism is growing. Like the, the cases of or prevalency of narcissism in society is increasing, specifically in Western societies. Um, one note I saw said that all countries, all ethnicities show traits of narcissism, but it was more prevalent or is more prevalent in white Europeans and especially white American Europeans, which I thought was interesting. It also shows that over time, people do seem to be becoming more narcissistic. And again, it's difficult to find like really accurate numbers around that because of the difficulty of sort of diagnosing it. But we are trending further and further up the scale as time goes on. Right. And it, it is challenging to, I guess, diagnose it, but they do have certain methods for it. One is called the narcissism personality inventory, right? And it's kind of this, this scale, this metric, certain questions are asked and a determination can be made. So that's just one example, but there are ways that they've been able to measure narcissism in the past and in the present, and they can compare those two. One statistic that is come from the research on this, which by the way, there's actually a lot of research out there on narcissism, but approximately 70% of students today score higher on narcissism and lower on empathy than did the average student 30 years ago. And there's a lot of talk out there as to what is causing this. Why is this happening? And there's theories. It's, it's hard to, you know, there's correlation, but not necessarily causation that anyone can point to. But some of it has to do with like celebrity culture and and these celebrity obsessions and the way that the media treats celebrities. Some of it has to do with the emergence of reality TV. And you think about the big shift in what people consume and how much of it is reality TV over the last decade or two and what that really consists of, the way it paints people, the, the kind of thing that it causes viewers to want. That's a big one. Social media obviously is huge. The way that people are able to see influencers and how people paint themselves to the world. The whole idea that you are kind of constantly showing whether you're either seeing how people talk about themselves or you're talking about yourself. And so there are just so many cultural shifts. I'll share one paragraph from an article that I thought was especially interesting. It says, also supporting the contention that American culture has become more narcissistic is an analysis of U.S. popular song lyrics between 1987 and 2007. So this is a little bit outdated. But again, 1987 to 2007, it says, This found a growth in the use of first-person singular pronouns, reflecting a greater focus on the self, and also of references to antisocial behavior during the same period there was a diminution of words reflecting a focus on others, positive emotions, and social interactions. And so again, can you really say that popular song lyrics are a direct reflection of society and our culture? Maybe yes, maybe not. But clearly, there has been a shift. And when you think about just the way that we treat what we, what we consider success in society, 
right? You got everything with hustle culture and self-help and all of these things that are all about making yourself the most quote unquote successful as possible. Like you said, with celebrities, we are celebrating them as what we consider successful. And so we focus on ourselves. We think about the social media of today and how that is typically used for self-aggrandizement. It's to be able to say, look at me, look at my life. Here's the, and usually it's a lie, right? You're showing the very best moments of your year, um, your house right after you've cleaned it, never when it's messy. You're showing this fake side of yourself and that's what people feel like they have to try and become. And so as we shift away from empathy and more towards this self-actualization, I think it's not hard to understand why we could be becoming more narcissistic. But interestingly enough, and sort of the focus of this episode, is that not only on average are we becoming more narcissistic, but we also find that those crucial, essential leadership roles in our lives, whether that's CEOs of big companies, politicians, civil servants, there is a higher amount, an above average amount of narcissistic behavior displayed from those roles than in the rest of the population. Yeah, and I think that's where this becomes especially relevant to the conversation around collapse. It has been interesting to talk about narcissism and what it is and the fact that it's growing, but we start to get into the realm of why this is so dangerous. All throughout history, it can be argued that, generally speaking, those with a more extroverted personality find themselves in leadership positions. But extroversion is very different from narcissism. And as narcissism is on the rise, there is this sentiment that the leaders we're seeing most often in the public and private sector in politics tend to be more narcissistic. Or in other words, that we have created a society, a culture, we have evolved into a spot in which you are more likely to become a leader if you are a narcissist. And many people kind of anecdotally would say they feel like that's the case. But again, there has been a lot of research on narcissism. I'll share one really interesting example. This was a study. Uh, they took a, a collection of, in this case, it was 172 Italian CEOs. They used that narcissism personality inventory. They did a couple of other things. They looked at their job history. They pulled all this data together and they found that narcissism was very strongly and positively linked to the likelihood of being made a CEO at a given point in time. This statement from the publication of this research says, in fact, an increase in narcissism of one standard deviation was linked to a 29% higher likelihood of becoming CEO. And to summarize, it was interesting because not only does narcissism make it more likely, at least with this sample, of somebody becoming a CEO, but it also increases the speed at which an individual becomes a CEO. And this was just one like kind of niche example right? Where, where we're talking about 172 Italian CEOs. But in reading through a couple of kind of meta analyses of all of the other research that's been done out there, this is a general conclusion. They find that in a corporate setting, narcissism is positively correlated with becoming a CEO and getting there faster. 
And Kellen, you know, I know that we've designated this episode as one about narcissism, but I also want to just throw in a quick note around psychopathy. When you think about psychopaths, I know that for me, typically the thought is like, oh yeah, like a psychopath serial killer, right, is sort of the vision that comes to mind. But psychopathy is actually pretty common in the United States relatively, with around 4.5% of the population, the adult population, being considered psychopaths, which is fascinating to me. This is basically a step beyond narcissistic personality disorder. And uh, Business Insider did an article on what are the jobs or the careers most in which there are most psychopaths. And I just got to read a couple of these because I think it's fascinating. So relevant to this conversation in the list was civil servant at number 10, police officer at number seven, media person in TV or radio at number five, or excuse me, number three, number two was lawyer and number one was CEO. So like the number one position that a psychopath is most likely to take would be like a CEO type position. And so, yeah, it's just incredible to me to think about the fact that, and this is not meant to be said in like a derogatory type way, our nation is being run potentially by psychopaths. <laughs> and it sounds funny to say it that way. And by the way, we have to be careful like of overgeneralizing. Absolutely. Just like always, like there are plenty of good leaders out there. I'm sure there are CEOs out there who are full of empathy. No narcissism or psychopathy involved there, right? So yeah, you're you're right. We're not trying to say that every CEO or every politician is a psychopath. Right. But when it comes to that idea, that that is a scary idea to think our world is being shaped by narcissists and psychopaths. And you might think like why? Why is it that those with those kind of characteristics are more likely to end up in those positions? And some of it just has to do with the fact that narcissists initially tend to come across as being more confident, more charismatic, more charming. Probably why you started dating that ex-girlfriend. She was charming at first. Yeah. And, and so you think about like a board of directors or whatever trying to select a new CEO for a company. Oftentimes a big part of that is like an interview or an interview process. And it's going to be those that have all of that self-interest and confidence. They have that charisma and charm that are going to be the most impressive in an interview kind of situation. You know, it's funny because in one of the very first episodes that you and I did, I remember we having this conversation about like, at what point do we feel like we've made it, right? Or at what point do we feel like we know what we're doing? And then we kind of talked about how it's basically fake it till you make it. We always looked at adults and think they have it all together. They know exactly what's going on. They have it under control. And we typically think that way about leaders and stuff as well. We're like, someone's got it under control and they know what they're doing. Um, and I think fake it till you make it is a big part of what you're talking about here. They have this charisma, you know, but they also have this confidence and this superiority complex where they can exude that superiority over others. And in a world where we're all just trying to put whoever knows what they're doing in the top places, if you pretend that you do, then that might be all it takes. For sure. And it ends up being really interesting because it's kind of a, a cycle, a feedback loop. I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but not only are narcissists more likely to be chosen for a leadership position, but leadership naturally calls to narcissists because it, it feeds their hunger for status and power and attention. 
there was a, a Stanford business article um, and one individual there, he, he made a quote that I found really interesting. He's talking about like venture capitalists and if somebody's going to have a startup and pitch an idea, who's going to be most successful? He says, I think venture capitalists love these people for their business model, which is to invest in 10 companies, hoping that one pays off big. It makes sense. If I'm a VC and I see one startup that's headed by an introverted engineer and another that's led by someone who says, yeah, I'm going to change the world. And if you don't get it, then you're a bozo. I'm going to go for the visionary spiel. And and it does make sense. We kind of view, we have this expectation of leaders that they will come across a certain way. And if you've got somebody who might be very empathetic, they might be a fantastic leader of people. But if they're kind of introverted, a little more quiet, a little more reserved, they don't have quite as much charm, we just tend to naturally discredit their ability to lead. And here we've talked about you know, CEOs and business leaders, but it also falls under the realm of politicians. So one Dr. W. Keith Campbell made this statement. He said, sometimes it feels like our systems are set up to select these narcissistic individuals. The democratic election process can also feel like a popularity contest where the biggest ego wins. And I have definitely felt that way when I look at how our politics are run, at least here in the U.S., in fact, I remember during the last presidential election, right, leading up to it with all of the campaigning and the debates, I remember hearing that those who have the most talk time in a debate are those who are typically uh, ranked the highest in the polls. And that's one of the reasons that they're always trying to talk over each other. They just want to say the most words and that boosts their perception. And what kind of people are the kind that typically are just going to talk over each other and only want to be heard and they want all the attention on them that are, you know, that are comfortable with that? We're talking about narcissists. And, you know, earlier on in the episode when we talked about grandiose narcissism and how it kind of starts in childhood as they're raised by elites, they might be raised in money, they are raised to believe that they are deserving, that they are special, that they are superior. And so you think about politicians. And you think about the fact that many of them come from money. They have money. They might already have the the money side of narcissism where they feel like that gives them some feeling of superiority, but they may lack the power. They may lack the status, right? The authority that political uh, growth, climbing the political ladder can give them. And so at that point, it's one way in which they can search out that status. And they also receive the sort of feedback that they're looking for, right? As they are voted into power or given that power by someone who is superior to them, it sort of um, allows them to pat their own back and say, look, I knew it. I do deserve this. I am worthy of this. And one little interesting tidbit that I read as well is that it's not just politicians that tend to be more narcissistic. But those who are more active in the democratic process in general. So they found that there was this big study done. Those who voted in a general election, there was no variation in narcissism. Uh, however, if you voted in midterms, you were more likely to be narcissistic than someone who didn't. 
if you were more vocal or even went to your local government meetings, if you were more vocal in those meetings, you tended to be a little more narcissistic. And so it's interesting to see that not only are the leaders who have been voted into power or becoming politicians are more narcissistic, but those who are encouraging, those who are um, swaying and giving their opinion about the laws tend to be as well. Which to me is fascinating, but it also makes sense, right? Those that are going to be most interested in like celebrity gossip uh, are just kind of fascinated in the way that people are viewed, which probably reflects on how they think others view them. And they think about that more than others. Same with uh, people that are, like you said, involved in the political process. So with all of this, this has kind of all been building up to what we're going to talk about next, which is why this is such a problem, why it's so dangerous for us as a society. One reason is that a correlation they found is that CEOs with higher levels of narcissism are known to procure negative outcomes for whatever firm they are the CEO of, such as financial crime, tax avoidance, and less collaborative cultures. They've been able to find that at least, you know, in a corporate setting, people who work for a corporation that is headed by a narcissist aren't as happy. That kind of selfishness tends to trickle down. As was mentioned here, there's less collaboration and there's just more willingness to do shady stuff because narcissism is tied to a lower sense of morality or ethics. People who are narcissists are willing to lie and do whatever they feel like is going to boost themselves. They're willing to participate in things that aren't ethical. And we've talked about that before, that a lack of values, a lack of integrity, more willingness to give into greed, both on the political side and on the corporate side, is perhaps the biggest factor in why we are where we're at. If as soon as people realized that the way that we're running our society was causing all this pollution and greenhouse gases and contributing to the extinction of animals and and contributing to poverty. And, you know, if if people saw that and then said, oh, we need to make a change and took a step back, then it's likely we wouldn't be in the predicament that we are now. But because people have just been generally fueled by greed, wanting more and more at the expense of others, we now face, you know, what we've pretty much declared as an inevitable collapse. Yeah, it's no wonder looking at today's politicians, specifically as who comes to mind for me, and see that there's a lack of empathy. And also to be able to see the importance of their needing to to be empathy. The world we live in is difficult and it's getting harder. It's getting harder year after year and day after day and it's just going to continue to get worse through collapse. And empathy is going to be a requirement of those in charge if we're going to be able to find ways, true solutions, right, to help people. Self-aggrandizement, self-promotion from politicians is in no way going to help the people. It's, it's in no way helping the people. And it doesn't matter what political, you know, what side of the political spectrum you're on. As far as the politicians that we see today, there is very little, if any, actual empathy that is, that is noticeable, that's, that's real. Sure, there may be feigned care and empathy for people, but would they would they give up their office to help people? 
Would they give up their money? Would they give up their power, status, any of that, if it meant truly being able to help people? And I think for the vast majority, the answer to that is absolutely not. Yeah, and like we've talked about multiple times, in order to prevent collapse, or you know, it could be argued there's no way to prevent it. We're already going through it and it's going to happen. But even in order to mitigate collapse, sacrifices have to be made. And narcissists lack concern for others. So if you've got an individual who's in a position of power where they get to call the shots and make the decisions, and their number one priority is to do what's in their own personal benefit, in almost no situation is that going to be to do the things that need to be done in order for us to get out of this predicament. If I'm a politician, and especially if I'm narcissistic, then I'm going to do what's going to get me voted back into office. If somebody comes along and they're lobbying and they find ways to say like, hey, you're going to get a lot of gain personally if you vote this certain way, then even if it's unethical, that's what I'm going to do if I'm a narcissist. And I did see an article talking specifically about how narcissists are more likely to accept bribes uh, you know, illegal offerings of that sort, if it will advance them, even if it's at the detriment of the people they're supposed to be serving. So all of us are just so tired of corruption. Right? We just see it nonstop. We're so tired of all the lobbying. We're so tired of something like, you know, big oil being able to come in and just buy politicians. But frankly, that's never going to change as long as we have narcissists in power. Another related reason why this is so alarming to me, you know, this particular meta-analysis of narcissism research that I found is, is all summarized in a 2017 article. It's called Leader Narcissism and Outcomes in Organizations, a Review at Multiple Levels of Analysis and Implications for Future Research. It's a mouthful. It sure is. Sounds legit, though. <laughs> If you put a lot of words in there, it makes it sound uh, legitimate. Right. Instantly credible. That's right. This one I actually do feel is very credible because of just how much peer-reviewed research is cited throughout the entire thing. It's kind of a compilation of so many research articles. One thing they found is it says organizational level outcomes indicate that narcissistic CEOs engage in unsustainable, quote, window dressing activities. Through these activities, tailored to better the external image in the short run, narcissistic leaders put the organization's reputation at risk. Again, a narcissist cares primarily about their image. And so this becomes especially dangerous when corporations, politicians do some like greenwashing, for example, or they take other steps to say, hey, look at all of these good things we are doing when it really is just window dressing, it's just a facade. And to me, that's more dangerous than them not doing anything at all because they're able to kind of placate the masses. And we see this all the time. Not to pick on oil companies again. <laughs> pick on them all you want. But you may remember when we did our episode on carbon capture and some of the campaigns that these oil companies have done. And they're claiming to do this carbon capture and that they are mitigating their greenhouse gas emissions. And yet the more you look into it, you realize this is all just benefiting them even more. And it's really not 
helping fix the problem at all, but they're able to publicize it, right? They're able to put out this big message about green energy and all the, all the wonderful things that they're doing and people eat that up. And so it kind of lulls our society into this really complacent state. It's like a false sense of security. Yeah. And who is going to be most likely to choose that course of action? It's going to be a person who cares primarily about image, a.k.a. a narcissist. So as you and I, Corey, have dug into this, we've done the research, how can we not be alarmed when we, when we wrap our minds around what narcissism is? We realize it's growing among the general population, especially in the West. We see that narcissistic individuals are more likely to get into positions of power and we see that that compounds our problems because it's going to result in us not making the kind of changes we need to. And in fact, making the kind of decisions that will further the damage. And it's interesting because you noted the the false sense of security that all of that gives. So it's like the uh, the elite don't care because they're getting what they want out of it, which is their own you know betterment for themselves. And then the people who want to believe that everything is fine... Go back to what we talked about at the beginning of this episode where they say someone else has this all under control. If things were really bad, there is somebody out there who is fixing it. Our leaders have everything under control. Everything is fine. And meanwhile, we're just doing more of the same, which is all the things we've talked about in the rest of our episodes, right? Destroying our ecosystems, our biodiversity, climate change, resource depletion, all of these different things that are combining to spell disaster for humanity. And there's not much that can make you sort of feel more helpless than being neglected by those that should be taking care of you, right? And that's where we have to hit a point where we say, we can't expect people to take care of us. We can't expect the state or companies or whatever to take care of us. We have to take care of ourselves. And that's where we get into the whole realm of figuring out what is within our control that we can do to protect ourselves, to prepare ourselves in our communities, which is, of course, an entirely other topic. All right. So with that, because Corey and I are absolute narcissists, 100%, we care only about ourselves. So please go write a positive review about us. <laughs> That's one way to plug a review. <laughs> We're going to get reviews now saying the hosts are narcissists on this show. Hey, just be honest. <laughs> We do appreciate a positive feedback. It helps people find the show. It helps people know that what they're about to listen to uh, is worth their time. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support the work, you can find us on Patreon. There's a link in the description to this episode. Our patrons really are what kind of keep us going. We're able to buy new equipment. We're able to pay someone to help us edit, you know, that type of thing. It is really important and it is very much appreciated. Thank you so much for being here this week. And we're excited to speak again next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.